listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ in the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. Turn with me in our Father's Word, Luke chapter 5. And if you have a smartphone or a tablet and you have the God Factor app, follow along using the Bible tab. In your bulletin, you've got a sheet of paper that's blank. By the time we're done, it shouldn't be blank. Write things down that God impresses upon you. The things you write down are the things you remember. The things you remember are the things you apply. The things that you apply from the Word of God are what's going to change your life. We're not interested in just hearing the Word of God. We're interested in putting it into practice. That's what brings transformation. When a man, woman, boy, or girl truly trusts Jesus Christ as their Savior, truly gives their life to Jesus as their master, a miraculous metamorphosis takes place. Did you hear what I just said? When you truly give your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you truly surrender to Him, a miraculous metamorphosis takes place. The estimation of what that looks like is impossible to give this side of eternity. But there has got to be a ball in motion. There's got to be evidence of your life having truly been given to Jesus Christ. If you've really given your life to Christ, a miraculous metamorphosis has taken place. In fact, the metamorphosis has only just begun. It only begins the moment you've given your life to Christ. The rest of your life is to be a miraculous revolution, a miraculous metamorphosis in which you are no longer living the way you used to live. You don't look the same. You actually look differently. You actually behave differently, not because you sit down and you take inventory and you try to change everything in your life. No. Many people misunderstand the Christian life. They think that it's a matter of them getting their act together for God. No, it's God getting His act together in you for His namesake and His glory. The reason why there's often a dichotomy, why there's often a a difficulty, is because we simply are not doing our part. And our part is to surrender to God. If you surrender to God... You will open the floodgates of all that is at God's disposal to do the work in you that you cannot do for yourself. You can't change yourself. That's what we mean when we say total depravity. You cannot change yourself. That's the bad news. The good news is that God's not going to leave you out hanging to dry. He's going to help you. In fact, He's not just going to help you. He's going to do it all for you if if you will only surrender. Luke chapter 5 in our Father's Word. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, Jesus, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the Word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, 
but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they went and got a bite to eat and weighed Jesus' proposition. doesn't say that. It says, and when they had bought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. When they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is insane. Where is the omnipotence, the omniscience of Jesus in this situation? He knows that these guys have spent the entire night toiling and come up empty-handed. He knows that it's Simon and his brother Andrew. If we read the other gospel accounts, if we read Mark, we understand it's Simon and his brother Andrew. And we know that they had partners. They were business partners. We would say in Italian, goombas. James and John, they would go out fishing together. They had at least two boats. Simon and his brother had one. Family business, James and John had one. Family business. They were working together. They had toiled all night. Jesus is fully aware, as we know in other instances in the Gospels, that Jesus has knowledge. He knows all things. He knows that they've toiled all night and come up empty-handed. And so it's insulting for this carpenter's son to tell a fisherman how to fish. Have you ever been insulted by God? Where God tells you your business. And you just want to sit Jesus down and say, you don't understand what I've been up against. You just don't understand. Simon has that thought coming through his mind. He brings, brings it to Jesus' attention. He says, hey, don't you understand? There seems to be some familiarity between Simon and Jesus. There's an indication that they had perhaps known each other before. They at least are somewhat acquainted with each other. Simon says, but, because you say so, I'll do it. And then to add insult to injury, Jesus, doggone it, he was right. <laughs> what is up with that? Why is God always right in my life? He's never, ever been wrong. And he's never been wrong for you either. They catch so much fish that not just one of the boats... But both of their boats, their industry is about ready to get sunk, literally. Their livelihood, ready to get sunk. These boats are not easily sinkable boats. There are so many fish in both of the boats that they begin to sink. And so the logical thing would, to do would be to recruit Jesus into the fishing ministry. 
He's good for business. But we're not like that, are we? We don't invite God into our plans. We don't make our plans first and then ask God to bless them, do we? We're not in the business of inviting Jesus to be the magical factor of blessing every area of our lives, are we? No, they don't invite Jesus to join the fishing business. Jesus invites them into his business to get busy winning souls. The logical, practical thing that you and I often think that we need to be about is often diametrically opposed to the ways and character and manners and calling of God. The logical, practical thing here would be to recruit Jesus into the fishing business. He knows where the fish are. He knows the best time to fish. These guys who were skilled and trained were probably absolutely mesmerized that the carpenter's son knew more about fishing and how to catch them than they did when they've spent their whole livelihood doing this. The logical, practical thing would have been to invite Jesus into their industry, into their business to make their business profitable, to make them prosperous. One of the reasons, some of the reasons why some of us are not prosperous in business, not prosperous in our business careers is because we are asking Jesus to do something for us that Jesus never asked us to do. One of the reasons why some of us are not as successful in business as we otherwise would be, we are toiling and it seems like an uphill battle continually. There's never a change, never a breakthrough, never a release, never significant change is because we have invited Jesus to bless something that Jesus never asked us to start in the first place. You must be absolutely certain that what Jesus called you to do is what you are setting your hands to. You must be absolutely certain that what you're spending, your toiling energy, your time, your money, all of your efforts on is something that God has said, yes, this is the way, walk in it. If you're not, if you're not sure about that, you're on dangerous ground of simply going through your life, inviting Jesus to bless you instead of being a blessing to him. Does anybody understand what I'm saying today? Is anybody hearing what God would be saying to you today? You might be saying, but I've spent a lot of time. I've spent a lot of money. I've spent my entire life. Well, then don't spend another second. Life is precious. Do not waste it on anything other than what God has called you to follow. And I'll tell you what, when it comes to following God, He hasn't called you to follow a thing. He's called you to follow Himself. Look what Jesus says here. Right after Simon is a broken man, 
Again, the reminder that brokenness is absolutely central to being used by God. If you're not broken and if you avoid brokenness, if you see brokenness as being something to be despised, you'll never be used by God significantly. Anybody and everybody whom God has used in Scripture, anybody and everybody whom God has used powerfully in history consistently has brokenness in their past. If you have something happening in your life now where you are broken or you're on the verge of being broken, throw out your arms wide to God and say, yes, thank you for this opportunity. You're about to be transformed. If you will respond the way God wants you to respond. Many people have been given the opportunity of brokenness. Many people have been given on a silver platter the opportunity to be broken before God and they have resisted him all along. Missed the turning point, missed the defining moment, missed the metamorphosis that God was giving them to change everything about them. Peter has one such moment. And he responds in a way that's a great example for all of us. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he saw the provision of God. He saw that obedience brings blessing. Peter saw that obedience brings blessing. We walk by faith, not by sight. If you're waiting for God's will for your life to make perfect sense on your terms, you've changed the tables. You've switched the tables. You've put your position, you've put yourself in the position of God. We walk by faith, not by by sight. God's will does not always make sense, but God's will, walking in God's will always releases God's blessing. You'll never be more blessed than when you're walking in the will of God. You'll never be more blessed than when you're walking in surrender to God. Never! Never! You'll never reach your full potential until you're surrendered to God. And when you are fully surrendered to God, that's when your soul will find delight. That's when you'll be firing on all four cylinders or six cylinders or eight cylinders, whatever you're driving. I don't care if it's two-cycle motorcycle. I don't care what it is that you're driving. You'll always and only be in your element when you're surrendered to God and trusting Him fully. Simon Peter saw it in verse 8. He fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. The term, O Lord, is different than just sir. It's master. This is not just a term of honor that Simon is uttering. Sir. You know, I lived in the South for a number of years, and it's always polite to call somebody sir and ma'am. You teach your children to call the men sir and ma'am. It's a matter of politeness. You've got to be a part of that good old Southern hospitality. But here the word that Peter is using, that Simon is using, is master. It shows us that a metamorphosis is taking place in Peter's life where he's no longer just acknowledging Jesus as a significant teacher. He's no longer just acknowledging him as a rabbi. He's now acknowledging him with bended knee. On the ground before Jesus, he's acknowledging him as the master of his life. And it is at that point when Jesus recognizes 
When, when Peter recognizes Jesus as his master, it's at that point. Jesus knows he has all of Peter. And once Jesus has all of Peter, he has Peter's boats, he has Peter's livelihood, and replication is about to get exponential. They're astonished at the catch of fish. James and John, this is not just a Simon thing, verse 10. Jesus says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we get an understanding of our new identity in Christ, something that was happening to Peter, something that happens to you. The moment you give your life to Christ as Savior and Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. There's a phenomenon that happens every spring around the country. It happens in New England. It happens in North Carolina. It happens in California. It happens in the Deep South. It happens in North Dakota and South Dakota and Oregon. It even happens in New Jersey. It's a phenomenon that happens. You can't resist it. It happens to deal with nature where these caterpillars are various sizes. Some of them are smaller. Some of them are larger. Somehow, by a miracle of God, they decide that they're going to wrap themselves up, bundle themselves up in a cocoon. And over a number of days, a number of weeks, something happens inside that cocoon that we're not able to witness until the breakout day. When the caterpillar decides to break out and we realize that it's no longer a caterpillar, it's now a butterfly. And the butterfly begins to stretch its wings and the juices inside of that former caterpillar. Now the butterfly begin to make its way through the wings. The circulation begins to happen and then eventually the butterfly flutters away into the, into the distance. That caterpillar has become a new creature, a new creation. This is what happens to you when you give your life to Christ. A miraculous metamorphosis takes place in which you are literally changed, supernaturally changed, not by something you've done, but by something God has done. You are a new creation. You're a new creation. You're a new creature. But that's not all that happens to you. You also have a new calling. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 says this, And he died, Jesus, for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We no longer live for themselves, but live for him who died. You know, one of the reasons why we don't live for Christ is because we continually forget that Christ died for us. The miraculous metamorphosis that takes place in you is not only in your new nature, but also in your new calling. You are now called to live for the will of God, to glorify God, to follow God. Did you know that left to yourself in your natural tendencies, you won't follow God? It's not your idea and my idea to follow God. It's God's idea. That's why we need a new, a new nature. We need to be recreated. We need to be born again. And that's what results in a new calling, that we are no longer to live our life for ourselves. And with that new calling comes a new capacity. You're a new creature 
with a new calling and a new capacity. A new capacity to do what? To fly. You now have the ability to do something that you otherwise in your natural humanity, in your limitations, you would never do. You have the capacity to lead people to Christ. You have the ability, supernaturally given by God, to lead other people to Christ. God has called you if you're a new creature. You have a new calling. He's called you to be a fisher of men. This is what he did with Peter. This is what he did with Andrew. This is what he did with James and John, and this is God's work in the life of everybody who gives their life to Jesus, that we come to the point and we recognize Jesus not just as a significant person, but as the personal master and Lord of my life. And when Jesus is Lord of your life, you no longer live the way you used to live. Look with me at Mark chapter 1. Beginning in verse 16. This is the parallel passage here. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, or the Lake of Gennesaret, as Luke calls it. He, Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Stop right there. Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Matthew doesn't add the adjective there or the verb of become. Mark does. Mark's account is shorter than Luke's account. It's shorter than Matthew's account. But in less words, in fewer words, Mark is able to communicate some richness to us, some significance to us that should change the way we're living. No man in his natural mind, no woman in their natural mind, no boy or girl in their natural state has a propensity to lead people to Jesus Christ. You're not born in your mother's womb. You're not created in your mother's womb with a propensity to tell other people about God. But the moment you come to Christ and you're a new creature, you're a new creation, something happens to you. You now have a new calling and God will make you what you otherwise would not and could not be. God will make you become something you could never become on your own. And central to that is that you and I become fishers of men. God will make you become fishers of men. He will make you into something you didn't dream up, you didn't think about. Central to your life once you come to Christ must be this passion to lead people to Christ, to bring people to the feet of Jesus, the same way a fisherman would bring in his catch and lay it before his boss's feet. Look at this catch today. You want to bring people to Christ, lead people to Christ, and bring them to the master. That's what happens when you give your life to Christ. And so we ask ourselves, well, why isn't it happening in my life? Some of us have never led somebody to Christ. Others of us depend upon the ministries of the church or a mailer or a program to lead people to Christ. No, God's program was always interpersonal relationships where you are the mouthpiece, you are the hands and feet of Jesus, where you are the fisher of men. 
left to ourselves, none of us has a natural propensity, a natural hunger, a natural desire to lead people to Christ. But the more we spend time with Jesus, the more Jesus changes us. There's a metamorphosis. Look with me. Luke chapter 5. Look what he says here. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Mark says, follow me in chapter 1, verse 17, and I will make you become fishers of men. Your ability to lead people to Christ is an overflow of whether or not you're following Jesus. It's not rocket science. One of the reasons why we're not leading people to Jesus is because we're not following the master fisher of men. Many churches lose their vision. The main thing is no longer the main thing. It becomes social programs. It becomes cool, hip, happening music. It becomes looking nifty and trendy for certain generations. We target certain groups. Did you know that the majority of church plants grow not by new conversions, but by transfer growth? People are just looking for the latest, greatest thing. And so they leave one church and they go to another church. See, Peter Wagner is often quoted among church planning circles with this quote. Maybe you're listening by podcast. Maybe you're watching the video right here. Maybe you're listening right now. You're familiar with this quote. The single most effective way of leading people to Christ is to plant new churches. Sounds great. Makes perfect sense. Plant new churches. That needs to be qualified. I found that out as a recovering church planter. The single most effective way to lead people to Christ is to plant new churches with people who want to lead people to Christ. You plant new churches with people who just want the latest, greatest thing and aren't interested in leading people to Christ? And congratulations, you just encouraged transfer growth. More churches being planted in the United States today than any other time in history, and yet the number of people getting converted, the number of people giving their lives to Christ is not going up to the same degree. In fact, it's declining. We're losing the battle. The state of Washington is just about five to six years away from the evangelical community being outnumbered by Mormons. What is happening? If Jesus said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men, then what happens if we're not fishers of men? Can it be said that we are actually following Jesus? Can it be said that we're actually following Jesus? Listen, I'm going to say some hard things here. Many of us as people who profess to be followers of Christ are not following very closely. Jesus is not at the front of our gaze. He's in the rearview mirror. We're distracted by many things. We're more like Martha than Mary. Because if indeed we were following Jesus, we would be fishers of men. We would be leading people to Christ. Now you say to yourself, I'm not a Billy Graham. I never got the call of God. The clouds didn't part and descend upon me. But it is in black and white here in the Word of God. Be careful that you're not looking for some subjective revelation from God when the objective revelation from God is right here. Follow me. 
Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. You leave everything and you follow Jesus, Jesus will provide for you. He was showing Simon and Andrew and James and John that when you surrender to Jesus, Jesus will provide. He will give you what you need. You don't need to concern yourself with your livelihood. You don't need to concern yourself with your money and how much money you do or don't have. You need to concern yourself with saving souls. You need to be all into saving souls. You need to be all into saving souls. It's not just up to the pastor. It's not up to the evangelist. It's not up to the ministries of the church as if it's some nebulous thing that's out there. It's up to you. The sum is the result of the parts You take a group of people, I don't care what size they are, who are committed to being fishers of men as a byproduct of following Jesus, and they won't be a small group for very long. God's evangelistic strategy is you. 1985, I was a mess. I was uh, finishing my college. I was a basket case in a lot of regard because God had broken me. He had humbled me. He had pummeled me. There was a relationship that I was involved in that had fallen apart, and I had realized that I had become idolatrous with that relationship. My life was revolving around the relationship with that person instead of Jesus And it can be a relationship, it can be a job, it can be money, it can be a car, it can be a material item, it can be anything. And I was a basket case. And I was in my room at 334 Townsend Street on the second floor. It was about one o'clock in the morning and I was wide awake. Sat on the edge of my bed and let out a sigh like, you know, it's been a long day. It's been another day of depression where I just don't know joy and I just don't know happiness. Imagine that, a a young man not knowing joy and happiness because my life wasn't revolving around Jesus. No wonder I look back and I say in Italian, we say, Stu not. How could I not figure that out? I was sitting on the end of of my bed at 334 Townsend Street, let out a sigh, and then the Lord spoke to me. Yes, he spoke to me. Yes, he did. He said, Mike... I want you to be fully surrendered to me. And I looked up and to the left. And I said, what do you mean, Lord? I am, I am surrendered to you. And the Lord said, no. I want you to give up a wife and a family for me. The big struggle, central to my struggle. It didn't matter the 99 other things in my life where I was following Jesus. It was that one area that I wouldn't let go of. It was that one solitary thing that I was worshiping more than Jesus. And it was hamstringing me. The rest of my life was being held up by that one solitary thing that I would not surrender to Jesus. God had spoken to me and it was so clear that I touched my chest and I said, wait a second here. The desire to be married is gone. What just happened? There was a peace and a calm and a stillness in that room like the calmness after a heavy snowstorm. The next day I had to leave to New York and had to catch trains to go to New York to see my two brothers for Thanksgiving. When I woke up that morning, I knew that it's always wise to sit on a subjective 
experience that you think is from God. So I woke up and just as real was the lack of desire to be married. God gave me a season of eight years where I didn't want to be married. I was studying the word of God and praying and reading scripture and God was preparing me for ministry all during that time. And I said to the Lord, Lord, if that was really you last night, confirm it today. Confirm it. And as I was on the train that I almost missed because I was running late, as I was on the train, I sat down in that car that was packed and I opened up my Bible and I prayed, Lord, if that was you, show me that it was really you. Show me what it would be like to be entirely surrendered to you. And at one of the stops on the way to New York from New Brunswick, New Jersey, an Indian woman came onto the train that was packed and was forced to sit next to me. Her name was Priyani. Priyani sat next to me, and I was reading the Bible, and I began to pray, Lord, help me to share your word with this woman. And as I opened my eyes with fear and trepidation, have you ever been fearful of sharing the gospel? I was. I was looking for the inroad to talk to this woman. She turned to me and she said, excuse me, is that the Bible you're reading? See how God helps us? And I said, yes, it is. I said, are you interested in the Bible? She grabbed my arm and she said, yes, I am. Introduced herself, introduced myself, found out she was running away from a relationship that was long going and she was running to go to a convent God was at work in this woman's life. Just like he's at work in your life, just like he's at work in the lives of people around you. If we'll just make ourselves available, we'll find those people. God will lead you to those people. That woman could have sat down next to anybody on that train. She had given her life to Christ some 17 years earlier, but had walked away because of the relationship. And in the course of leading her through Scripture, I asked her finally, I said, Priyani, would you like to rededicate your life to Christ? And she grabbed my arms as the floodgates began, and she began to cry, and she said, yes, Mike, I want to do that. And I prayed with Priyani right there on the train, and when I opened my eyes, passengers were looking, what is going on here? on this trade. Do you think that God spoke to me that night before? Yes, he did. Do you think you need to have an experience like that to hear the clear calling of God on your life to be a fisher of men? No, you don't. I'm not saying that this is prescriptive for you. I'm saying that it's descriptive of what happened to me. And what is prescriptive for you and for me is that if we follow Jesus, we will be fishers of men. You might not be an evangelist, but you've got to be part of the plan. You might have financial resources to get alongside of and to help those who are on the front lines. Many of you do. God has gifted you financially. It's your opportunity, your responsibility to be all in so that all of your money, yes, I'm talking about a dirty subject, all of your money is prioritized to bring people to Christ. And until your money, listen, let me say something here. Jesus sat down when he taught. I think I can do that from time to time. Until your money is all in for the purpose of leading people to Christ, your money's not all in. 
until your money is all in, centered upon the first and primary purpose for which God gave it to you, which is to lead people to Christ, I'm not sure that you can really say that Jesus is the one that you're following closely. For many of us, we've begun to follow Jesus closely, but it seems like a distant memory. We're no longer following him closely. And you're going to have an opportunity in just a moment. You're going to have an opportunity to come forward as a display of your resurrendering yourself to the Lord, whatever that specific area is in your life that God has already begun to speak to you about. You've got to be all in in the area of your finances. You've got to be all in in the area of your personal surrender. You've got to be all in in regard to praying for the lost. No, none of us, nobody has an exception clause when it comes to following Jesus and being a fisher of men. That's a call that's given to all of us. You're a miraculous metamorphosis in process where God has given you a new nature, he's given you a new calling, and now he's given you a new capacity to do what you otherwise otherwise would not do, what you otherwise could not do. And that capacity is wrapped up, it's centered upon the black and white of leading people to Christ. Leading people to Christ. You don't have to be a Billy Graham. You don't have to be a Pastor Mike, but you do have to be a surrendered worshiper whose priority in life is to be a fisher of men. That's God's priority for your life. If you are following Jesus closely, if you have the name Christ follower, if you are a Christian, you've got to be all in in regard to this miraculous metamorphosis. Not only did Jesus change your nature, not only did Jesus change who you are and your identity, but he changed the propensity of your life. He changed the priorities of your life. And the priority of your life must now be to follow Jesus and be a fisher of men. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.